from the Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of December 9, 2019. This holiday season is packed with activities and fun and good cheer. First came Thanksgiving with turkey and all the trimmings. Then on December 1, KCB President Debbie Dethridge, Patty Cox, Chastity Starkey, Adam, and I took a trip down I-65 to attend the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind Christmas Party in Bowling Green. The food was great, the game was fun, and the best part were the new friends we made while we were there. Then on December 7 came the Christmas with the Council Party here in Louisville. Patty Cox, Chastity Starkey, and Samantha Hubbard cooked up a mighty good ham dinner. Vivian Albrechtson was the elf for the third year in a row, and Mr. and Mrs. Claus, in the person of Angie and Michael McCarty, came by with gifts for everyone, all sponsored by GLCB. David Smith led the games for the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision. Sue Ellen Milo shared a story for Tri-State Library users. Deanna Scoggins and Terry Turlow and others coordinated the music from Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana. Brock Persons, Adam Rushevel, and Bill Wright helped with audio. Debbie Persons, Don Shribchenko, Melanie Pesco, and I handled registration and the bargain table. And Alan Shribchenko kept the coffee pot going. Joey Couch and Josh Gentry from KCB Next Generation and KCB President Debbie Dethridge helped with set up and tear down. Thanks to everyone who helped and to all who attended. We really enjoyed sharing the holiday with you. But there's still more holiday fun to come. Some of us from Louisville will be attending the Savvy Party in Owensboro this coming Tuesday, December 10, and the Bluegrass Council Party in Lexington on Wednesday, December 11. The Northern Kentucky Council Party is Friday, December 13. We won't be able to make it to that party because of the GLCB roundabout, but we know it will be great and filled with holiday cheer. The holiday auction is now history, but because this sound prince was recorded before the auction began, we won't be able to share details with you until next week. For now, we want to thank everyone who made this auction so successful. The ACB Radio Steering Committee, RadioStorm.com, the Holiday Auction Committee, the ACB staff, and of course everyone who listened and bid. Without everyone's help, the auction would not be able to raise the money needed to keep ACB Radio coming to you around the year. The KSB Athletic Department is holding two fundraisers to buy new uniforms for the teams and to help with travel expenses when the teams visit other schools. For more information on these fundraisers, which include t-shirts, sweatshirts, and cookie dough, contact Jessica Belcher, KSB Athletic Director, at 502-897-1583. Michael Hudson, director of the museum at the American Printing House for the Blind, was the speaker at the James F. Shaw Academy Awards Banquet at the 2019 KCB Conference and Convention. No matter where you live around the country, we think you'll enjoy his remarks about new acquisitions at the museum. Listen on page two as Michael tells us about exciting developments and as we follow his speech with a special surprise. Teresa Thomas is the Executive Director of the Bluegrass Council of the Blind in Lexington, but Teresa also is a singer and dancer in the Conk Republic, a professional band founded by her husband several years ago.
Teresa has been losing a considerable amount of vision over the past several years due to retinitis pigmentosa. She gave a very interesting presentation as part of the general session at the KCB conference and convention on how she has adapted her on-stage world to accommodate her vision loss. Don't miss page three. It will inspire you to reach out and change your world to make the impossible possible. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Our guest speaker for tonight is the director of the American Printing House Museum, Mike Hudson, and he has some interesting facts to tell us about Helen Keller. Thank you, Debbie. I'm really glad to be here with you all. That was some very good fried chicken. Uh, and for those of you all that came over to the show this afternoon, I want to thank you all very much for always supporting what we do at the museum. And uh, what did you think of the show? Are those narrators not amazing? Um, they are just some of the most incredible performers. And uh, a lot of people here in Louisville here don't even know... Uh, you know, the, the, what we're doing down there in the basement at the American Printing House for the Blind. So, they're pretty cool. Um, what, what Carla asked me to come talk to you all about is a development that happened and has been happening at APH over the last two years. And you may have heard that recently we negotiated a partnership with the American Foundation for the Blind so that the entire AFB Helen Keller archive is coming to Louisville and is coming to the Museum of the American Printing House for the Blind. So how does that happen? So, so for those of you who are familiar with the American Foundation for the Blind, they were founded in the 1920s. Initially, they had three purposes. Um, research and advocacy, and they wanted to be an information clearinghouse for the entire field of blindness. And as a part of that information clearinghouse role, they accumulated an immense library of books and articles about blindness by blind writers, by uh, a, with blind characters, uh, Anything that had anything to do with the non-medical aspects of blindness, they collected it from all over the world, such that they had a library with over 40,000 volumes on that. And you may know that the great lady herself, Helen Keller, worked for the American Foundation for the Blind from about 1924 until her death in 1968. She was their primary fundraiser, and Helen traveled all over the world initially with Annie and then later with her assistant Polly Thompson, um, publicizing the work of the foundation and uh, looking for partners for the American Foundation and raised millions and millions and millions of dollars. And after she died, she donated all of her papers, all the manuscripts of all of her books, over 11, very influential bestsellers, 
all of the letters that she wrote to world leaders and all the letters that world leaders and authors and movie makers and celebrities wrote to Helen. And uh, all of the gifts that she received when she would travel around the world, whether she was going to Asia, Japan, Africa, South America. She went to every continent except for Antarctica. And you can imagine why she didn't go there. Uh, but... Um, you know, if somebody had invited Helen to come to Antarctica, she would have gone there. She was that kind of lady. But everywhere she went, she was the biggest celebrity that had ever visited the place. And they would shower her with gifts, vases, platters, medals, uh, 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 art of all kinds, shapes and sizes. And, uh, you know, Helen and Annie Sullivan were two of the most famous American women of the 20th century worldwide. Um, they were influential writers. They were influential thinkers. You know, when sighted people think of Helen Keller, they think of one moment, right? What is that moment? The water pump, right? And the, the moment at the water pump is, is a powerful moment, okay? And that's why it has, it excites cited people so much because it's this moment when a teacher reaches into the mind of this little girl and the connection is made between the finger the shapes that the teacher is fingerspelling into her hand and words letters actually right yeah. first letters then words then sentences then paragraphs and and that moment, that moment at the water pump is the only part of the story that most sighted people want to remember. They don't want to remember that Helen grew up to be a socialist. Helen grew up to help found the American Civil Liberties Union. Helen grew up, and this was a daughter of the Deep South, remember. Helen grew up to say that a person of color had just as much value as a Caucasian person. Helen grew up to say that women had the right to vote. How dare they? And that women's lives mattered. Helen grew up to speak truth to power. And she's one of the most fascinating and influential people, let alone women, of the 20th century. So she did all that for the American Foundation for the Blind. And when she died, she donated all of her papers and those of Annie Sullivan, who's an interesting person in her own right. You must remember that Annie was blind herself and grew up in the most abject poverty that any of you can imagine. She lived in an almshouse, a workhouse, where her brother died of disease. When she got lucky and managed to talk to a uh, official and get a scholarship to go to the Perkins School for the Blind, the other women, the wayward women who lived at this workhouse with her had to pitch in so that she had one complete outfit to wear. The dress on her back did not belong to her. 
The stockings on her legs did not belong to her. The shoes on her feet did not belong to her. They were given to her by the ladies at this workhouse. And so when she shows up at the Perkins School for the Blind, which at that time was pretty much a, a middle-class institution of women who had, young girls who had pretty, were pretty well off, and here this feisty Irish young woman shows up at the Perkins School for the Blind, and when she graduates years later, she is their valedictorian. She's 18 years old and doesn't have a job, and then Michael Anagnos, the head of the, of the, of the school there at, the, at Perkins, taps her to go down to Alabama and teach this child of this ex-Confederate soldier. Pretty good story, don't you think? So you can imagine how we felt when two years ago we found out that the American Foundation for the Blind had been doing a lot of strategic planning and thinking about who they were going to be in the 21st century and deciding that the information clearinghouse part of their old mission was no longer relevant in the 21st century. And that they were looking to, they were looking for partners, somebody to partner with them to continue the legacy of Helen and Annie. And so it took us a long time. We had some pretty stiff competition. At the time, two years ago, when we first started talking to them, they were thinking about sending the collection to the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. That's kind of a good museum, you know. If you've, if you've ever been there, they, they kind of have, like, you know, the space shuttle, <laughs> the Hope Diamond, all the dresses worn by all the first ladies at the inauguration, if you like that crap, you know. I mean, they've got some stuff, it's okay, you know. Not like what we've got. <laughs> they were also looking at the uh, New York Historical Society. New York Historical Society, wonderful, powerful, old museum. And uh, they were also looking at Rat Ratcliffe College, which if you know uh, Helen's story, you know that she was the first deaf-blind woman in the United States to graduate with a four-year degree, and she graduated from um, Radcliffe College. So pretty significant stuff there. So we had some pretty stiff competition. So we started talking with them, not with a lot of hope, but thinking that where else but the Museum of the American Printing House for the Blind should this story come so that we can tell it. And eventually we managed to bring them over to our way of thinking. And so uh, this week, 160 boxes of that story arrived at the printing house. And in January, uh, about 600 more boxes are going to arrive. And if you come over to the printing house right now, we have a small little exhibit just kind of as a teaser. And it's got some pretty cool things in it. One of the things it has in it is an Oscar. This is why, actually, why Carla asked me to come talk to you all. <laughs> because of the Oscar trophy that, uh, that Helen received in 1955. It was the best documentary of 1955 uh, Academy Awards. It was the story of her life. Um, in 1964, President Johnson awarded Helen Keller the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And you can come see that Presidential Medal of Freedom right now in our museum. And you remember I told you she traveled all over the world. So one of the cool places she got to go was this province in South Africa called Natal. And there she met a bunch of Zulu warriors. 
and they did a big dance and welcomed her to Natal, and then they gave her a Zulu warrior's shield as a gift. And that, that, that Zulu warrior shield, it's made out of some antelope hide that we need to identify, but it's really cool. Um, it's there in the museum. And then uh, the kind of the strength of the collection is Helen's ideas, her thoughts, right? And so this is contained in thousands and thousands and thousands of letters and documents. And so we have some of the letters on display there. And one of them that really gets me is a telegram that she wrote in 1933 to none other than our boy Adolf Hitler. Now it turns out there's a little ruckus going on over in Germany at the time in the mid-30s, and the uh, German Students' Union had decided that one way that they could purify their country was to take all the writings of people that Adolf didn't like and burn them. And they had these big ceremonies where they would all march out and they would grab all these books out of the library, all these ideas from people that they didn't like, and they would throw them on a pile and burn them, right? And uh, one of the books that was there was Helen Keller's books. And she found out about it and she wrote them a telegram that basically said that she, Helen, and we, the United States, knew what was going on. We knew what they were doing to people who were Jewish and that it would be better for Adolf to have a millstone hung around his neck and be dropped into the deepest part of the ocean than to be hated and despised of all men. Now that comes right out of the book of Matthew. It comes from the story uh, where Jesus is talking to uh, his disciples about the little kids. And, uh, you know, Helen was very religious. Uh, she, uh, in fact, in the 1930s, had to send her Bible that was embossed in Braille, grade one and a half, uh, that had been embossed at the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky. She had to send it back to us to have it rebound because she'd worn it out. So Helen wasn't afraid to tell people like Adolf where to go, and she wasn't afraid to tell anybody who was opposed to human rights, women's rights, equal rights, rights for people who were disabled, rights for all men and women of any race. She wasn't afraid to tell them the truth. And that story is coming to your town here in Louisville, Kentucky. And the evil plan, I call it the evil plan, because for year, for a couple years now, we've been under a non-disclosure agreement with the American Foundation for the Blind not to talk about any of this, okay, while we were negotiating it, because they didn't really want anybody to know until it all came down. Because it's important for them, too. It's, this is going to give them, the foundation, an opportunity to put all this stuff on public display in a way that it's never been on display before, to tell stories in ways they've never been able to do it before. They're going to partner with us to do that. But... So we were under this non-disclosure agreement, so we can talk about it. So we started calling this the evil plan, right? Because it was secret, and we couldn't talk about it. But here's the evil plan. We're doing a feasibility study right now to see if we can raise a big bucket of cash to build a new building that will go onto the front of the American Printing House here in Louisville. And the museum would be called 
the killer. What do you think? If we're going to do this, if we're going to make the evil plan work, we're going to need all of you all to help. Okay? We're going to need all of you all to talk to your friends and your neighbors and the people that you, you, you know and, 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 and get excited about this and get behind it and partner with us to bring this story to Louisville. We happen to think that Louisville is a pretty, pretty swell town that it's a pretty unique town, that it has lots of interesting stories that we're already telling, right? Like the greatest, Muhammad Ali, or the Kentucky Derby, or Louisville Slugger, or the Falls of the Ohio, right? These are pretty good stories. George Rogers Clark out at Locust Grove. Um, why, not, why not Helen and Annie in Louisville, right? So that's the evil plan. Uh, it's going to take about five years, probably, to bring it all to fruition. And we've got a lot of thinking to do about how we're going to tell this story. One of the things that we're playing around with is this idea of a journey that everybody goes through. You're faced with obstacles. For people who are blind or visually impaired, that obstacle is, might be a disability. They've got to come to grips with that disability and figure out how to, how to get around it, right? That's a journey. You don't have to be Helen Keller to be blind. Okay? You don't have to be a genius. You shouldn't have to be a genius. But that doesn't mean that your story is still not the story of a hero. You don't need to be a hero, but everybody's story is a hero's journey. And so in this new museum, what we hope to do, besides telling the story of these incredible people that inspire us and drive us and, and help us get up every day, it also tell the story of ordinary people and, and tell their journey. And not just people who are blind, but your parents. Because parents of kids that are blind and vision impaired go through a journey too. And your teachers... Because those teachers, they go through a journey as well. So that's what we're going to do. I'm excited about it, but I'm terrified of it. I'm really terrified of it. Because Helen's story is too awesome to screw up. We can't screw it up. We're going to get one chance to do it right, and we're going to show the world how people in Louisville tell stories. Thank you all very much. I got here this morning at about 7 a.m. for the show, and uh, my wife is wondering where I'm at. So if I slip out, I hope no one will take any offense. I can't go. I can't go. Not yet. <laughs> okay. I will sit down and shut up. Wasn't that great? We know he's got a uh, long trip back to Lexington, but um, Adam uh, Rushevel, if you would come up, you were chair of our awards committee, and we have some business to take care of. The first award is a uh, community service award named after James Carl Dotson, and you do not have to be a member of the Kentucky Council of the Blind to uh, receive this award, but it is set up 
someone who works in the community uh, to help blind people and uh, that who does other things worthy of recognition in the community. And by the way, James Carl Dotson was Carla's father. If Paula and Rick Bogus uh, could come up. Okay, good evening. I'm here to present the James Carl Dodson Award. It's uh, an award. Okay, it's an uh, the James Carl Dodson Award, and I'm here to present it uh, for community service. Uh, when you think of community service, you think of the ability to affect people in many, many ways, and the recipient of this award, I think, does that. They go out of their way to share information and and so on and they not only you know they they just go over and beyond and I think that uh, speaks well to the recipient of this award the recipient tonight has spent many years or several years many may be stretched but several years at the printing house and has worked with the museum and has just the outreach of that museum is tremendous and how it imp impacts us. And I guess I've kind of let the cat out of the bag because that person tonight has shared that information. Uh, he's been to Owensboro a couple of times. It's just always been a privilege. And his, his enthusiasm for what he does, I mean, isn't it great? It's, uh, it's wonderful. Mike Hudson. Mike, would you come forward, please? Mike, uh, I want to get, present this to you. It's, it's, a, it's just, uh, as I say, it's a pleasure to present it to you. I just love every opportunity I have to hear you speak. I get excited about it. And your message is just great. Um, we might just take you back to Owensboro with us tonight. <laughs> and Mike has some ties to Owensboro. He attended Kentucky Wesleyan. That's right. right. So, so we... Uh, and he always comes and wants to go to Moonlight, things like that. I don't know if he always goes, but he tells us he's going to go. But anyhow, Mike, it's a pleasure to present this to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for Thank you. Wow. Um, uh, been at APH now for uh, for 14 years. And uh, I love all you people. And I, I want to thank you all very much for embracing me from the time I've been here till 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 today. And uh, let's, this is just amazing. And uh, I don't know that I deserve it, but I'm, this is going to be the proudest thing I've ever received. Thank you. That was a beautiful cobalt blue vase etched with Mike's name and some other inscription on it. Page three. Okay, next on our agenda is uh, Teresa Thomas from Bluegrass Council. She's uh, a member of a band and she's going to tell us what it's like being a member of a band and it's my onstage world. So Teresa, it's all yours.
Thank you so much for inviting me to talk to you all today. Um, again, like they said, I am in a band. Our, my husband and I have a beach band called Conk Republic. Um, I'm not sure if you all know who Jimmy Buffett is. You may have heard of him once or twice. <laughs> Well, in 2006, my husband and a couple of friends decided to start a beach band. They wanted to do a Jimmy Buffett tribute band. And on Cinco de Mayo, on the patio of Mi Pequena Hacienda restaurant, they gathered together and uh, started a contract for an LLC to start the band Conk Republic. And from that point forward, it was a group of, of six guys that were playing mostly all Jimmy Buffett music. They had a lot of fun, and after a while, they got a pretty good reputation going and invited to perform at the Jimmy Buffett um, International Conference called Meeting of the Minds in, in Key West, Florida. And at that point, that was in 2008, and the wives of the band members said, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> we want to be included in this. That sounds like a lot of fun. We followed them around and watched them. They said, put me in, coach, we want to play too. So um, from that point on, they included the three wives of, of the band members that wanted to perform with them. We started doing some backup vocals and some choreography and we had an absolute blast and from that point on the guys really didn't want to perform without us it really was it, it had a lot of color and a lot of activity and entertainment to the show i think we're going to start here with one of our videos that we recorded my husband works at long island recordings it's also lexington school for the recording arts so we've been very blessed to have access to um, a wonderful rehearsal location and a full stage for recording videos. What's the name of the video? The name of the video is, um, the song that we're performing is Turn the Beat Around. And I will also let you know, as much as I'd like to say I was singing lead on this song, I don't sing lead on any songs. Um, I'm simply a backup vocals and choreography, so if you can see the video, you'll see me with the blonde hair dancing around. The lead singer is Beth Coco Fur in the... In, in our band, we all have stage names. We all have characters that we play when we perform in the speech. And we transitioned from a Jimmy Buffett band to more of a, an overall beach band throughout the years.
plays, we have nine performers on stage and two crew members, so it's quite a large production to move from place to place. We typically play uh, city festivals, wineries, um, corporate events, so we have a lot of fun. We play a few parrot head events. One that's a favorite of ours, of course, is Meeting of the Minds in Key West, but also Panama City Beach has Parrot Head Rendezvous, which we have played four times, and we're returning there again this April to perform at the Parrot Head Rendezvous on the beach, which is one of my favorites because they set the, the stage up on the beach with the ocean as your backdrop, and it's a ton of fun to be out there with all of our friends that, that come down to watch us, and it's... Um, a real experience. So one of the things that Carla wanted me to talk about today is, you know, as a visually impaired person and at this point in 2006 or 2008 when I joined the band, my vision was a lot better than it is now. It's, con it's continuing to, to uh, get worse and worse, but it's making it more and more difficult to continue doing what I'm doing so I have to learn new ways of doing things and I guess the bottom line for me um, when someone says how can you do that the, the one word answer would be determination and I I'm not a person that says I can't and I was talking to my physical therapist this week and she said you know every time I ask you to do something you never ever say I can't um, my response is typically, I'm not there yet. Do this, try this, I'm not there yet. And that's kind of my whole outlook on life is maybe I can't do it right now, but that doesn't mean I can't do it, it just means I'm not there yet. And I just have to be determined in different ways of doing things. Um, another way that I, I do things is distraction. And I'm giving up some secrets here. But as a visually impaired person, not just on stage, but in life in general, um, so I mentioned that I, we all have band names and characters. My character um, and my band name is Sonora. And if you've ever heard the song, shake, 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 Sonora, shake your body line, that's me. I'm the one that shakes the hips and, and shakes the body on stage. Um, Sonora, uh, we spell it S-U-N-O-R-A, kind of the play on words there, Sonora. So um, I try to perform constantly with a smile on my face and the fun, bubbly, kind of the, the beach girl attitude. Um, with that, I often find myself in a situation where things are going on around me and I'm not quite able to see what's going on and I have to listen and use other clues to figure out what's going on because I can't see. And in doing that, um, I kind of a lot of times pretend that I'm not paying attention so I look more distracted rather than not being able to see. So. Um, one of the things that's very common is there will be people in front of us on while we're on stage performing in between songs they'll want to hand me something they'll want me to to give them one of our lays or one of the things that we do or they'll want to get my attention to take my photo and sometimes I can catch out of the corner of my eye somebody waving at me 
but I can't really make eye contact with them. So I act distracted as though I didn't see them. I go digging through my beach bag, looking, act, act, looking like I'm looking for something, um, pretending that I don't see them, and I get the attention of one of my other band members, and they will very often just kind of step in and you know get that person's attention, say, hey, can I help you? Oh, here, take this, or you know, grab me and say, oh, look, this person wants to take your picture. Let's stand here and pose. And they'll tell me where to look and how to stand. And they, the person in front of us never knows that I didn't see them. Um, it's the same in, in general, in life in general. I often will, um, let's like at the airport, I will be traveling and I'll, I'll be able to find where the restrooms are, but I'm not able to determine which is men's, which is women's at a restaurant or airport. I pretend to be distracted. I'm looking at my phone. I open it and I'm just kind of playing around on my phone and I glance up at the sign and I glance down at my phone and I move a little closer and I glance up at the sign and I glance back at my phone until I get close enough to see if it says men's or women's. Now, if I'm close to the men's and, you know, people look at me like, you know, if I just walked up to it and, and, and stood there and stared at it, it'd look kind of odd. But a girl looking at her phone, not, not really paying attention, walks up to the men's room and then she decides, oh, wow, oh, whoops, that's the men's, I need to go to the women's. So I use distraction a lot, um, pretending that I'm not paying attention, but it's really just the opposite. One of the ways that I really am able to, to do some of the things that I do is start really being aware. I'm a lot more aware than, than most sighted people because I have to be. I depend on my memory a lot. We do a a lot of choreography in the band. Um, we performed this past summer in Nashville, Tennessee at B.B. King's for the Parrot Head party before the Jimmy Buffett concert. When we were doing that, we were booked by a, um, a booking agency that um, hired us to come down and do this performance. And the um, booking agent was there watching the whole time. And I came in, I didn't use my cane, I just walked in with Coco and we put our stuff on stage. She kind of walks around and kind of gives me some orientation on where things are. It's very nonchalant. Um, typically it's when the audience is not around. Um, the band is wonderful at helping me um, become orientated to new environments. It is very difficult in some because of the lighting. They work really hard at setting the stage up to where there is minimal clutter on the stage, and that's unheard of too with a nine-piece band. There's stuff everywhere. But they are very good at marking off a section, and I, um, another way that I, I kind of know my boundaries is that I use a mat that I dance on. It, we started off with just dancing on beach towels, and I knew if I stay on that beach towel, I'm not going to run into anyone, I'm not going to fall off the stage, I'm not going to step on something that I shouldn't, that's kind of my boundary. Um, tighter stages, there's a lot of times that we don't have that much room, so I have a mat that is just, a, it's about a two foot by three foot mat. And I dance on that, and as long as I stay on that, I can feel it. I use a lot of contrast. I put things in front of me. Just like here tonight, there is a, um, a windscreen on this microphone. I carry with me a red and a bright yellow windscreen, windshield, 
um, for my microphone. That provides contrast. If we're in an environment where it's a white floor and white tables and white walls that I'm looking out in front of me, I'm going to put the red shield on there. If we're outdoors and it's a, you know green grass and hills and, and dark out there, I'm going to put the bright yellow on there. That helps me see where the microphone is because when we do a lot of turning and twirling and things, I get a little disoriented. I have to kind of pause and line myself back up. Um, I have a bright yellow boa on right now with my Sonora dress, and um, that's another way of marking my spot. I know when I turn and I do some dance moves and things, when I turn around, if I, if I can't see that small microphone, we always have a boa hanging on our mic stand. Um, I, I choose a color of my boa that is contrasting with the environment and that gives me the ability to use that um, as a little bit bigger marker and contrast to line myself back up again. And it also helps because I constantly hit my mouth on the microphone. It saves my teeth. <laughs> um, so that's just a few of the ways, again, um, on stage, off the stage, surrounding yourself with people that are very helpful. And, you know, my thing is I like to surround myself with people that shine just a little brighter than I do. And that way it, it kind of makes it easier to, to make a few mistakes and people aren't looking on stage. I have nine people, there's eight other people on that stage that are performing besides me. So it eases my, my conscience a little bit that when I do make a mistake or something, I just think, well, they're probably looking at Coco or they're looking <laughs> at Panama. Um, and one other really big way that I, I kind of get through it as a low vision person, um, if I do accidentally miss something or um, bobble and, and accidentally step on uh, Panama's pedal board or something like that, um, the, the biggest thing that you can do is smile and have a friendly attitude about it. And as long as you're smiling and looking like you're having fun, nobody really seems to care. So. I do that not just on stage, but in life is, you know, a friendly attitude and a big smile gets you a really long way. Learning the choreography when we were performing in Nashville, the talent agent, um, we got up there, we did the first set on break, I grabbed my white cane. Um, I felt comfortable, I knew my way around, but I needed my cane for the steps up and the step down and to navigate through all of the chairs to go to the restroom. I pulled my cane out and I headed to the restroom and I, my husband said that, that that agent's jaw just dropped. And he had no idea. And when I came back from the restroom, he said, he said, are you, I said, visually impaired? He goes, yeah. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. I have very low vision. And he said, I had no idea. He said, every move you did, you were perfectly in sync with, with the other girl, and you never missed a move. H how did you do that? And I said, I don't dance with my vision. I dance to the beat of the music. And I said, as long as you stay on the beat, and she stays on the beat, we're going to be perfectly in sync. 
And I said, you know, it's it's not rocket science. It's it's simple, but he he just couldn't get over the fact that if I couldn't see her, we couldn't be coordinated at the same time, you know. Um, one of those tricks is that she always follows me. If we mess up or we get off beat, she will change to do whatever I'm doing. I may be doing it right, I may be doing it wrong, but that's one of our, our tips and tricks for, for looking like, you know, it was supposed to be that way. She really keeps an eye on me, and if I forget to switch from one move to the next move, she's really good at just staying with me until I get the cue, and I'm like, oh, whoops, we're supposed to be doing this, and, and she just follows me. So um, in that sense, I say a big thank you to Coco for following me, and in those situations, Nine times out of ten, it makes it look like she messed up, not me. <laughs> How much practice time do you use? How much practice time? Like I said, I am surrounded. I am. I definitely consider myself the weakest link in this band. They are phenomenal musicians. Our season of when we perform most often is June, July, August, a little bit in May, a little in September, um, maybe once or twice throughout the winter. So during the summer, when we're performing, we really don't rehearse unless we have more than a week between performances. We usually perform every weekend, sometimes twice in a, in a week or weekend. Um, and we don't really rehearse that much because we're, we're performing so much. In the off season, we re rehearse maybe once every couple of weeks, maybe once a month, depending on what's coming up. And um, if we're learning new material, we practice more often. Um, but as the season will pick up again, our band has performed for the Bluegrass Council of the Blind fundraising event called the Sea Cruise every year since I started working at Bluegrass Council of the Blind, and that's typically the beginning of our season. That's typically in April, and leading up to that, we, we practice probably once a week for about six weeks going into the sea cruise. Following that, then we usually kind of pull it back together um, once a week or every other week until we have another show. Okay, this is Sue Ellen Milo. Now, I belong to a theater group called Imagine Blind Players, mm -hmm. and it sounds to me like a lot of what you're doing when you get into a situation or you need to cover something is a lot uh, is a lot of improv work, which we that is one of the things that they real that our director really has stressed with us is improvisation to cover over those things, and that's. Yes. Really cool. Yes. It's very, very much improv and acting. And it's, honestly, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's, it's fun and it's exciting whenever I get into a situation and I realize that I might have put myself out there a little over my head, but then I realize, okay, you just got to figure this out and get through it. And it, it's exciting to kind of problem solve and, and get myself out of a situation. Um, we've done some really fun events. We've opened for the Beach Boys at the Gold Strike Casino in Tunica, Mississippi. That was phenomenal. I got to meet John Stamos and get my photo with him. Um, we got to open for 
KC and the Sunshine Band. I don't know if anybody remembers that from way back when. But that was phenomenal. That was so much fun. Um, that's one thing I love about our band is that my, my husband is the lead guitar player and formed the band and has been with it the longest. And his whole attitude on it is we sell smiles. Um, the music that we perform is all kind of mostly related to beaches, vacations, sunshine, um, parties, smiles, celebrations. We try to keep it upbeat, everything. Um, that's why we had to move away from Jimmy Buffett. His was a little too laid back for us. We do quite a bit of Jimmy Buffett still, but we do a lot of vocals type things. You saw Turn the Beat Around. We do a lot of Jimmy, I'm sorry, uh, the Beach Boys. We do some Harry Belafonte, some um, Zach Brown, um, some old Motown. We do some Heat Wave, things like that. So it's a lot of fun, and the improv is probably one of my favorite parts about it. Debbie Deverage, and of course I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan and a Beach Boys fan, and I'm wondering if y'all ever come to Louisville. Yeah, actually, our last gig, I had shoulder surgery and I had to miss it, but they, we performed at Smithberry Winery, um, we've performed at Huber Winery, we've performed at some nonprofit Apple something, you can't remember that, but we, we do, we perform all over. Um, I guess the farthest away we've been, north, we've been to... Um, South Bend, Indiana. The farthest west we have been is Branson, Missouri. There's a parrot head event called Flock at the Rock at Table Rock Lake. We've performed there twice. Um, of course, south. Uh, you can't get much more south than, than Key West, Florida, and that one was phenomenal. On the beach, we got to open up. We performed on the same stage just before Jimmy Buffett's band. When they perform without Jimmy, they they go by the name of the Coral Reefer Band, and we got to open for the Coral Reefers. Um, and I got to get my picture with all of them and meet them. They're very, very kind. Um, we perform in Cincinnati every year before the Jimmy Buffett concert. Um, the night before the concert, their local club puts on a uh, Jimmy Buffett pre-party, and we perform at that. We have for, gosh, it, I don't even know how far back, probably 2008, so probably over 10 years with that one. Um, we've done that at Cheeseburger in Paradise in Cincinnati. Then we did, we did, we had a contract with Margaritaville when they were in Cincinnati to perform um, four times a year. And we did New Year's Eve at Margaritaville in Cincinnati. Um, before I got to join the band, when it was just the guys, they did a week-long stint at the Margaritaville in Key West. And that just wasn't fair at all. The guys got to get in and stay a whole entire week and perform. And uh, so they worked for an hour and a half every night and had the rest of the day off. And um, yeah, I want more gigs like that. <laughs> we need Teresa back, Sonora. We need Teresa back, okay. Sonora is now going to leave, thank you. Website, yes. Um, conch, C-O-N-C-H, republicband.com. And on Facebook, it's Conch Republic, the band. Thank you. And all over you, too. <laughs> and all over you, too. This is Paula. I just have to say, Teresa was very modest about uh, talking about the band playing for our sea cruise every spring. 
she and this band have raised almost $90,000 for us over the last seven years, donating their time, their talents to the Bluegrass Council of the Blind. Page four, the Sound Prince calendar. December 10, Savvy Christmas Party, 12 to 2.30 p.m. Central Time. Join us for dinner, entertainment, games, and lots of fun. Although there is no set charge for the meal, donations will be collected. Food will be prepared by the planning committee. Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. Reservations, call 270-686-8689 by noon on December 6. December 10, Savvy Board Meeting, 7 p.m. Central Time, on the Zoom conference line at 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595193. December 11, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its Christmas party from 12 to 2.30 p.m. For more information, call 859-259-1834. This party will be in Lexington. On December 11, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold their meeting at 7 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-4700 and enter code 155-619. For more information about NKCB, call 859-781-7369. On December 11, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. The number is 669-900-6833, intercode 3572-595-193. December 12, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision invites you to our support group meeting in Louisville, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. It's a great activity for those who have begun experiencing vision loss or who have had low vision for several years at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On December 13, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind invites you to our next roundabout. Education and technology from 3.30 until 5, discussion time 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, $6 per person, and bingo after dinner $2 a person until 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries, Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On December 14, the GLCB board will meet at 11 a.m. by phone. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On December 15, ACB Families will have its next business meeting. It is at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712 712- 432-3900 and entering code 796096. On December 16, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On December 18, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next conference call support group. It's at 8 p.m. Individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On December 20, the GLCB Roundabout 
will be from 3.30 to 9 p.m. There will be individual activities from 3.30 to 5. From 5 to 6, we'll be sharing My Favorite Christmas. From 6 to 7 will be dinner. And after dinner will be music and Christmas music trivia. For more information and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On December 22, the KSB Alumni Board will meet at 8 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On December 23, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have its membership call 7 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On December 23, the Savvy Budget Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833. Enter code 3572-595-193. On December 26, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have another support group meeting. This is an in-person meeting in Louisville and will be from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On December 27 will be the last roundabout of the year from 3.30 until 9 p.m. 3.30 to 5 will be individual activities. From 5 to 6 will be show and tell. What did you receive for Christmas that others might also enjoy knowing about? Also, we'll be sharing New Year's traditions around the world and New Year's resolutions. After dinner will be fun, trivia, and lots of games. December 28, ACB Next Generation will have their Saturday Night Live Chat Hangout at 8 p.m., for more information, call Amanda Smoot at 502-750-1774. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.